You are listening to the brand new episode on Love of the Process. I am your host, Mike Petchy. How are you guys? What's new? How are things? I uh, hope you guys had a good Thanksgiving. I'm not sure when this episode is going to come out, um, but uh, I'm sure it will be after Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, we did uh, pretty good. We made uh, enough food for a small army, and then I tried to eat most of it. Um, and uh, we tried out some uh, new techniques this year. Actually, uh, followed uh, our buddy Frank, the chef, on Instagram. Uh, and tried out some of his new techniques on the turkey, which worked out really fucking well. Uh, we ended up uh, cutting off the legs of the turkey and then slow braising those separately from the breast and then cut the back of the turkey off before we cooked it and, and split it into tiny little pieces and spread it across the bottom of the tray. It was it was great because then uh, it made amazing gravy. Uh, and Gina made these amazing mashed potatoes with bacon and cheese. Uh, it was actually a pretty high spot for us, I would say, for Thanksgiving meals. Yeah, Gina's in the background shaking her head, yes. Uh, she's also pissed off at me because we had to interrupt her Roomba session because she just went out and bought a Roomba, so now we have a people-killing robot in the house. This place, this, this robot has completely analyzed the entire house, so now... It's very simple. All you have to do is go online and just figure out exactly where we are at any point in the day, and you can come in and slice our throats. Even better is I'm sure inside that Roomba it has little ankle-cutting razor blades that it'll just sort of run around and do that thing. Maybe it'll just cut the gas line to the stove while we're sleeping. You know? It's dangerous. You brought this into the house. You brought Skynet into our house. His name is Gerald? Yes. Yeah, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. The effects are crazy. They actually made him into the t- <laughs> made him short enough so he fits under our bed <laughs> without having to bend over. Um, so, yeah. How are you guys? How's the holiday season? Uh, today's episode is going to be a good one. I am continuing on the tangent of uh, working with, uh, or or interviewing rather, interviewing post-production folks. And uh, today will be our, is it our second professional editor on the show? I think so. I think it's number two for the show. And today's gonna be a good one. Uh, We're going into a bit of uh, new territory. As far as editors are concerned, we're gonna talk to someone that has been cutting television shows uh, and doing so good at it that he's won awards for the television shows that he's been cutting. Uh, he uh, won a few BAFTA awards. And actually, for one of the big ones was for his show Veep that he was cutting for a while. Uh, he also was nominated for a BAFTA TV award for uh, The Thick of It in 2005 as well. Um, and let's see, let's go through his IMDb here and talk about some of his credits. He has edited a bunch of stuff for television, run the TV series, run The Great, um, The Hustle, Loaded, Vice Principals, three episodes of Vice Principals. I love that fucking show. I think that show is fantastic. I'm going to ask him some questions about that today. Uh, and like I said, Veep, a bunch of other stuff too. So uh, it's going to be a little bit different because there's a huge difference between editing a movie and editing a TV series. And I'm sure that there is 
uh, a lot to have to manage as far as footage is concerned. And then the timelines must be insane because they're literally banging these things out. Sometimes I think they're a couple weeks ahead of when shows go on television and there's so much to be done. So I'm going to pick his brain about a bunch of this stuff. And then it, I'm also curious with the TV thing. And I've talked about this on prior episodes, the ones with uh, Leslie, the director, uh, television director that was on one of our previous episodes, what it's like to be uh, a TV director, because you're basically a gun for hire. And I'm curious uh, how much time those directors get to spend in the edit room on these shows. It's fascinating stuff. Like how much of television is actually still... Uh, influenced by the director and how much of television is mostly influenced by the writers and the producers on these shows and the showrunners. Uh, so it's a whole different world uh, and I'm fascinated by this. So very excited to have uh, Anthony Boys on today's episode. Uh, I'm super excited because he was referred to the show by our buddy Drew from over at Company 3. Thank you, Drew. Big fan. And he has been sending all sorts of really cool guests our way. And if you want a guest on the show, and there have been a few people doing this, and I've been lining up their guests, so if you have been sending me suggestions for guests at Instagram, uh, I have been making those things happen. So we are just, it's all about scheduling. Scheduling is the biggest nightmare to running a, a podcast, is just making sure that everybody's schedules align, trying to fit them in. But if you have suggestions for who you would like to hear on the show, go to at Mike Petchy on Instagram or the podcast Instagram. That's in love with the process pod. That's in love with the process pod on Instagram. There you can leave me a message. And uh, what was that? That fucking Roomba? Yeah. And there you can <laughs> there there you can leave suggestions on who you want on the show. Also. Um, we've been running a bunch of different competitions on there to get free t-shirts. Um, I don't know if this episode will come out after that, but I still have some t-shirts kicking around for In Love With The Process. So if you want a shirt, follow me on Instagram, send me a message, say, hey, Mike, I'd like a shirt. And even if you can't afford a shirt right now, because I know everybody's dealing with uh, unemployment running out and work not being what it's supposed to be these days, uh, drop me a message and maybe I'll have you do a couple things for me and you'll get a free shirt. It's pretty cool, right? Trying to make sure that you guys stay uh, active with us and stay uh, excited about the podcast. And if you love this show, then please, please, please tell your friends. Tell the folks that uh, you think would be interested in our show to listen to and love with the process. And you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You guys already know because you're listening to the show just tell your pals because we're just trying to get more and more listeners and everybody that we introduce to the show they're very excited about it they become diehard fans like you guys are uh, so thank you for your support um and uh let's see what else is going on it's been a while since i've caught up with you guys there's a bunch of good news on the film's front, and as usual, I'm going to be cryptic with it, but things are going pretty good. Let's just, my fingers are crossed right now, but things seem to be looking up. And uh, all hopes point to as soon as we get this vaccination stuff working out well, we might be making something. I, I, I can't. I can't say it yet. And this business is so fickle that it may fall apart, may just sort of dissipate. But 
It's been a good few weeks. Let's say that. And let's also say that your boy here has been heavy in prep. Okay? So you guys listening are like, Ooh, what is it? What are you working on? Which one is it? Yeah. I can't say all that shit yet. I I know I'm the biggest dick tease in the world for not being able to say this stuff. But it's just the rules. I can't. Not yet. Not yet. Just know by the tone of my voice that I'm I'm doing okay. I'm kind of happy because stuff might be working out. All right. Um, and let's see what else is going on. Uh, prepping for Christmas. I think this is going to come out before Christmas. It, we just have a great backlog of stuff. And Liam, our associate producer on the show, has been busting his ass and just sort of doing all the post-production on our episode. So big shout out to Liam. Um, but uh, I never know when these are going to drop. Sometimes they just drop immediately. Sometimes they come out a few weeks later. So I always feel like I'm behind on the times. Uh, but uh, big plans for Christmas this year. We're not going to go home. <laughs> Which, you know, in its own way is nice. Uh, Gina and I, and I think Mike is going to be here as well. Our roommate Mike is going to be here. We're going to hang out and uh, buy a Christmas tree and, and uh, just sort of take it easy. It's going to be fucking great. Um, and then also news update, we ended up buying that new bed, uh, which has been doing really well for us. Um, so that's good. I get a little bit more sleep, which is good. Um, and then let's see, is there anything else going on? Yeah, you know, stuff. But let me not rant and rave. I'll talk a little bit more about it at the back end of this. Let's get into it with Anthony. So I know you guys are here for some editing stuff. Strap yourselves in. Grab your noise-canceling headphones, sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. Anthony, thanks for being on the show, my friend. Thank you having, for having me. This is, a, this is a real pleasure. Dude, I'm excited, man. Uh, I am a big fan of the stuff you do. I'm a big, I watch a lot of the shows that you've worked on. Oh, cheers. Um, and uh, I've got a lot of questions for you, you know, and I, and we were talking briefly before we started rolling this stuff, but uh, our show is a little loose. Uh, and ultimately, it's because I'm a director in this industry and I, I hate... <laughs> I hate interviews that are obviously set up where it's just like, I'm here to promote yeah. my shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's that, it's that kind of, uh, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of those in, out there where someone's trying the hardest to be Jimmy Kimmel and they're not Jimmy Kimmel. <laughs> they're just a bloke with a microphone. Exactly. Dude. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel's not, well, he might be doing it now, but I was, he's not sitting at home in his underwear doing this podcast. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, he might be, you might be right. That's yeah. You never know. He yeah. just might be on the, on the phone to Mike Tyson in his pants. You never know. <laughs> That's very true. It's very true, man. Um, so, for those of you just tuning in right now, Anthony's a is an editor. You've been how long have you been professionally editing now? Uh, well, one month from now will be my twenty year anniversary of my first full time editing job. Hell yeah, man! Hell yeah, twenty years. Blimey, that oh, is I'm fantastic, old. dude. That is fantastic, <laughs> though, man. The thing that I love about our industry is with age comes. You know, wisdom. You know what I mean. And there's God, a lot I of hope respect. So. That'd yeah. be terrible if it wasn't the case. <laughs> I'd be, I'd be in real trouble then. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter how pretty we look, as long as we're making good-looking stuff, man. I think. Yeah, thank important. goodness for that as well. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, how'd you get so twenty years? What 
What was your- 20 years. How'd you get your first gig? Like, how did it start for you? Uh, my So my very first full-time edit job came. I was an engineer slash edit assistant at the Network of the World, which was the world's first ever broadband TV channel. Huh. Uh, in the days before YouTube and the days before anyone had broadband either. So it wasn't the best business plan they had there. Um, uh, and basically they had everything on sites. So they had production and broadcast and editing all on the same site. So what would happen is people would run into the edit suites sort of saying, oh, we've got this thing that's got to be an air in, in 20 minutes or an hour and there's a fix that needs to happen. I would do it. And after a while they said, well, you just seem to be doing more and more of these fixes. So uh, why don't you just be an editor? <laughs> Well, that's cool, man. Isn't it, it funny? Was very cool, yeah. Isn't it funny how, because I do a lot of cutting myself, isn't it funny how when you're dealing with editing, the theory of cutting is easy. And the theory of cutting is always like, it's great. I'm going to focus on the story and I'm going to be really focused on how all these elements come together. And then there's always some sort of technical issue and there's always some sort of big tech thing that like throws a wrench in the entire works. It's always just, it's it's amazing. I did. You, I think you go through this... Um, this weird roller coaster ride where you start off at the very beginning, you're like, yeah, I'm going to tell these great stories. I'm going to be a great editor. <laughs> and then you fall into this way of going, oh, the tech stuff, oh, you know, the codecs aren't right, or, or there's all these problems with the continuity or the lighting doesn't match. And then, and once you really get to the bottom of all that, you start to go, you know what, I don't care about that stuff anymore. And then you come out the other side and go, actually, it's all about the story. Mm. And I don't care about that stuff. But if anyone picks up on it, well, I'll just have to be better. Totally, man. Totally. And do you feel, cause I feel this way with cutting. Oftentimes the hardest thing to do is actually get started. And then once I start to yes. grind it out, then I'm like, oh, here it is. Here's the fucking rhythm. And then I start to find yeah. that thing. Right. Is it the same way for you? Absolutely. I'm on uh, the show. I'm on at the moment. I'm doing season two of the great and we have some big scenes in that, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have four or five minute scenes mm. with seven, eight, nine characters. And just to say, well, where the hell do you start with something like that? It's, you know, it's, it's, I wouldn't say overwhelming, but uh, when you wake up in the morning, sit down with your coffee and you look at the nine pages you've got and the <laughs> 47 setups and you're like, oh God, okay, here we go. So you, you just start, you just start putting the lines down. Mm -hmm. And then after a while you go, oh, hang on a second, actually. Well, there's this bit, oh, I guess if I put that bit in there and then, and that gives you an anchor point. And then once you've got the anchor point, you can go, well, well, how do I get into the anchor point? Right. How do I get to my next anchor point? And so so yeah, so it's a case of just finding the first bits that start you off and then you start finding what you've got and then you have a scene and then you watch a scene back and you go, oh, no, 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 this is terrible. Okay, well, now, I, now I've seen this. Now I can do that and I can put this here and oh, I saw this take over here. And yeah, and it's just, it's the process. It's just trusting the process really. Yeah, because that's a big part of it too. Um, I, I think a lot of folks have this misconception that a lot of this stuff, as long as you shoot it correctly, it all sort of works out and it all it's an easy never, edit. It never does. It right? never does. It never feels that way. And yeah. then and then for me, like I have to go through doing something and it sometimes it can be frustrating, but you have to go through the process of doing something incorrectly to actually go, okay, yeah, that's incorrect. But there here's the right elements that I found in that, you know? Absolutely. There's the, there's a term which is uh, first assembly. So yeah. that's the first cut you show a director. The director goes off, films the show, sends you the rushes, you assemble it, and you show the director your first assembly. I have never shown a director my first assembly. No <laughs> one outside of me has ever seen any of my first assemblies because my first assemblies are fucking dog shit. <laughs> they are horrific. Right. But what they do is they allow me to go, oh, no, that's terrible. Right, well, now I can do another pass and another pass. So the director sees my third assembly is what the director sees, or my fourth assembly. 
Smart. That's smart. That's smart because then there's a lot of insecurity that comes in with that director where it's like, did I not shoot this oh, yeah. right? You know what I mean? And you're you're really saving you're saving that director from That's, that trauma, you know? Yeah. Well, on, on your Manny podcast, um, you had a discussion about how when the director first comes in, that's that's the worst part. Mm. Is sitting down and working stuff with the director, and it 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 it's it's right. It absolutely is. That's the worst part of the entire edit. It took me a long time to realize why on that one. How come? There's um, it's because when when the director comes in to the edit, you have sat there on your own and you've assembled what they've shot, and so you're nervous. You're sat there going, "God, I really hope they like what I've done. I really hope." that I understand all of their thoughts and all their processes. And I really hope I've got the right shots in and I've got the right performances. And what they're thinking is they're thinking, oh my God, I hope I didn't fuck the shoe up. <laughs> it's very like, true. It's very and all true. they can think is, all they can think is those days they ran out of time, the days where, where the actor was a nightmare, the days where they had to rewrite on set and they're worried if they, if the rewrite didn't work and they're worried about when they had to cut this shot and this scene, and that's all they're thinking. And when you show them their first cut, it's always a nightmare because you're worried about how it looks to them from your point of view and what you've done to their material. Mm. But all they can see is they've gone, they've gone, I had this film in my head and they're seeing the absolute worst version of what they shot. And all of their dreams and all their visions have gone out the window <laughs> and they can just see their own failures on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And so to you, it feels like they hate what you've done, but actually they just hate themselves. And that's why it's a really difficult thing to get through. But once you know that, then then it's a lot easier to then overcome that uh, hump. And then you can make them a cup of tea and pat them on the shoulder and go, it'll be okay, we'll get there, don't worry. And, and that's when you start the work. <laughs> it's true, man. It's true. Like years ago when I started cutting, I wanted to learn about all that those aspects. And when I direct stuff that's larger now, I don't edit it because I... I need to have someone else in that space to cut it with me. Um, mm -hmm. But I find that it's kind of helped me a little bit sort of get over that initial, I fucked everything up because I've been through the process enough times now through the edit where it's like, nothing's really fucked. Like you can always nah. find different ways of, of retelling the story and doing it as long as there's sound, as long as there's technically <laughs> shit on screen, you could still make yeah. something really great, right? <laughs> If you've got some sound and it's in focus, yeah. you're going to be fine. You'll yeah. have something that will get released. Don't worry. <laughs> it is so true, man. And it's yeah. it's amazing when you think about because you're in a you're in a such a great position as an editor uh, with the whole story process because it's all it's all culminating down into you at that point. Like it's all you're like this funnel yeah. of all the crazy pre-production and theories and on-set craziness and all that shit. And it all just sort of funnels right down into a folder structure that sits on your computer. Um, and yeah, you know, does it it's, feel, it's, does it's it fascinating. Feel I feel, I feel that we're closest to the writers of any other role on, on the film. Mm. Uh, because, because the, you know, when you, everything's written, everything starts as a, as an idea in someone's head. Someone goes, oh, I know I'm going to make a movie about some guy that turns into a wolf and they go off and write it. And then, and then all the stuff happens and, you know, all the money comes in and the millions of dollars and the sets and the catering and all that craziness. And then when it comes down to it, it's just, it then comes down to you and the director sat in a room going, well, we've got this film about this guy who turns into a wolf. <laughs> it is the most exciting aspect of it all, I think. It, yeah, well, I don't know if it's the most exciting. I think it's, I think it's the most interesting aspect of filmmaking for okay. sure. Okay, I think 
I think the there's there's so much adrenaline that happens on set. The idea of trying to claim that editing is more exciting than that feels somehow disingenuous. Yeah, but the adrenaline on set is kind of like it's 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 more fear based. Than <laughs> yes, else. that's very true. Yeah, it's like, you know the I mean? set is like a horror movie for sure. Yeah, for sure, dude. You know, yeah. when you get in the edit room, like if you get in the edit room with me, it's like I'm bringing in barbecue and beers, and we're sort of sitting <laughs> around. You know what I mean? Like, that's it. So editing is the most fun part. That's yeah. that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I totally think so. <laughs> <laughs> so you you do a ton of TV, and now TV fascinates me because I've never I've never had the opportunity to direct television, and television. It's a whole different beast. And it's a beast oh, yeah. that is run by the writers and run by showrunners. And a lot of times directors are just for higher guns that sort of come in and, and do stuff. Are you always cutting? Like, is the director always in the edit room with you or are you more no, often? No. Okay. How's this work? So very infrequent. So generally speaking on the big, on the big uh, cable shows uh, and network shows, what happens is, um, uh, the showrunner will be in charge of the show. So you have a writer and uh, they'll either be the showrunner or often, more often than not, they'll team with another showrunner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll be the creative voice and an, another showrunner will be the more, more of the producer voice, the kind of get stuff done kind of person. Mm-hmm. And uh, they will hire a director to direct their episodes and a director will spend two weeks shooting episode. And then per union rules, they get four days in the edit with me. Um, and then we turn it over to the showrunners. And then from there, it's me and the showrunners working on it together. And then we come up with a cut. And then that's when it goes off to the production company and they get round of notes. And then it goes off to the studio and they get to do their two or three rounds of notes. And then we park it. And that's that's the general process from start to finish on wow. a TV show. Wow. And how long, for to cut an episode up, what is the, what is, how long does that usually take? It entirely depends on the show and the turnaround. Um, I'd say for... Your cable sitcoms, something between five to six weeks is generally standard for an episode. Hmm. Um, if you're looking more hour-long uh, dramas, cables can be sometimes nine to ten. Uh, network shows can be five to six. It really does depend on – it can depend on a lot of factors. Um, for example, uh, how the blocks are split will often determine the amount of time in the editing. So uh, – you're, if you shoot 10 episodes, mm-hmm. you don't want to shoot 10 episodes in one go because that's insanity. It, you know, you're, you'll just knacker everyone out. Everyone will be far too tired to do a good job. Yeah. You know, you need to, you shoot for four weeks, you know, shoot, shoot two, epi- uh, two weeks per episode. So you shoot four weeks for two episodes and then, then stop for a week or two. And then you prep the next lot, get another director in, have, everyone has a rest and you do it that way. So what happens is you then get to a point where your show, showrunners will be writing episodes nine and 10 whilst being on set for episodes seven and eight, whilst being in the edit for episodes five and six. (laughs) And that can determine the amount of time that you have uh, because you just start to run out of time to do things. You know, if you're going to get, if you're going to get the show on air, the VFX for episode four needs to be done by this date because otherwise the VFX company won't finish five, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. So you have to lock the episode by here and that it's, you're often just working backwards from those sorts of, those sorts of insane scheduling demands. And so you must have to find a rhythm, right? So like the first couple episodes on a show must be the most difficult. And then you find like a basic rhythm for how the workflow is going to work out. Pretty much. Yeah. It's um, it really helps. Uh, quite often the first couple of episodes on season one set the rhythm and the workflow. 
Mm. And then once you're into it, then then you're fine and set and you're just kind of bouncing around towards the end. It does get a bit scattergun, as I'm sure you can imagine. You know, yeah. um, As an editor on a TV show, you'll be involved in signing off the VFX and being in the audio mix and being part of the grade. So you're often being pulled between those as well. That's pretty and insane. It's, it's, especially, especially when the showrunner's busy with those sorts of things. You know, it's, it's you've, if, you've got, if you've got a minor character doing some ADR, um, you don't, you know, the showrunner doesn't need to be bothered with that. I can go and direct that. Right. You know, that's just, I'll just pop down to the, pop down to the audio studio. It takes 20 minutes. It just means no one has to worry, else has to worry about it. And I know the show best at that point too. Right. So it's little things like that that might, might mess your day up, but you're just, you're still just juggling those sorts of things. How many people do you have on your staff? Do you get a, a staff of like assistant editors that work for you or? Uh, yes. Again, depends on the show, but currently um, I have uh, the team that we have at the moment. We have Kyle, who's our post producer and there is Leonie, who's our post super and uh, Lily's our post coordinator. Then I have Tina, who's my main assistant and further down the line, we've only just restarted, but we will have a music editor and a VFX editor come join us. We'll possibly get a second assistant at some point, depending on the workload. And mm-hmm. then we have uh, 10 episodes. I'm doing four of them. And then the other six are split between two other editors, uh, Billy and Adele. They will have their own assistants as well. And uh, we may end up having one or two other support staff to come in also. Nice. I would I would imagine you would need that. <laughs> it really that does. It just, it's just the amount of... Um, it's it's just the amount of admin that needs to happen on a show yeah. of this size. Yeah. That's that's the that's the main thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now, if you're dealing with your assistants, what are they? Are they just prepping projects for you? Are they like putting together bins? Are they pulling selects? Like, how does that? Tina does like? everything for me. So, so I I spend a lot of time trying to find the best assistants I can. I really rely on my assistants a lot. Uh, I like to just be editing as much as I possibly can. Nice. So, Tina. Uh, Tina is, so she will uh, pull everything in. She'll arrange the bins for me. She then does a script sync for me as well. So I use a program called script sync, which is this phenomenal program in Avid where um, what it does is you can bring the script in in PDF form Uh and then kind of mark on it um, links to your rushes. So if you go to line one of the scene, uh, you can put a little marker, which will link you to line one, intake one, and then another one, which links you to line one, intake two, and so on and so forth. So I can wow, then just cool. flick through the different takes of each line. So I don't have to go hunting through the rushes. I can just click on it and find it. And that saves just, I mean, I, I don't know how I would edit without it sometimes. Oh my God, I um, didn't know that existed. So that's an avid thing, oh, apparently. Yeah. Oh yes, that's an avid thing, yes. And that's um, that's why avid is, I, I think that one piece of software is the reason why avid is my favorite. Yeah. Just, yeah, using that. Oh, if you work in comedy as well, uh, especially comedy that has improv, it mm-hmm. is a lifesaver. Just I being bet. able to find those moments in improv is is just, it's, yeah, I, I can't explain how how helpful it is. So she's, that obviously takes a while. She does that for me. She will source sound effects for me and lay those in when I need. She'll do sound, sound background sound work for me too. Nice. So I'll have, I'll sort of say, hey, can you clean up? this audio a little bit can you bring out this person's mic they're getting lost in, in the mix so she does all that sort of stuff and she'll do some really temp vfx for me as well you know we've got um uh, people who've seen the first season of the great will know that Catherine has a pet bear um so so she'll just comp in just a picture of a bear so we know where the bear's supposed to sit you know so little things like that 
That's cute. And th- so are you guys, are you guys working on like a shared system? Is that how the, the, the game works? Like are you guys working yep. on timelines that are all shared and that kind of thing? Yeah. So we have a, so Avid, uh, we work off the Avid Nexus Unity. So we each have our own station and the rushes are on a central server and the project is also on a central server. So we sort of work within the same project. And as long as you're not in the same bin or folder at the same time, it all just works fine. So I can just, I can say, Hey, I've cut this scene. Can you do some sound work? I've closed the folder. It's all yours. And then she jumps into the same folder, does all the sound work, closes it, open up again. The sound work's done for me. That's cool, man. That's rad. Mm. Works really well. Yeah. 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 And that's, it's gotta be essential when you're doing stuff on such a crazy deadline because that it just must get backlogged as you, as you're like mid season, like mid season must be insanity. That's it's yes. It's there's a bit where you're when you're when you're three days behind in your assembling on episode eight, mm. and you have to be in the dub for episode two, and then the grade for episode one immediately after, and you're going, "That's my afternoon done." <laughs> I really, yeah, it really helps to just be able to turn around to Tina and go, "Hey, jump into this, do the sound work, so it's done for." And I go back, please. Yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, just so useful. Now, do you still love it? You still love cutting or is, is, is it become like, Oh a- my God. Yes. Okay. Yes. It's fantastic. It's, it's so much fun. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the best job in the world. Don't tell everyone cause everyone will want to do it, but it really is. Yeah. It's terrible. It's a terrible job. Yeah. No one wants terrible it. job. Yeah. Awful job. No, no, no one go into editing. You'll hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you do a lot of comedy, man. So you must have, yeah. you must have some comedic timing in you to be able to figure that stuff out. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I am. It's, uh, yes, I'm, I'm obsessed with comedy, like absolutely obsessed with it. It has been something that has been a huge part of my life ever since I was a tiny kid. And I wouldn't say I'm particularly funny myself, but I do understand it. Uh, wh- how has it been in your life since you were a kid? I just, well, I used to watch comedy shows with my dad a lot. It was our thing was to just watch uh, whichever sitcoms were on. Uh-huh. There's a show. There's a show in England called Porridge, which is about uh, about a guy in prison, and it's uh, it's quite dated now, but it is it's very very funny. It has uh, unusually for a sitcom, it has actual genuine jokes in it. Really? Um, yeah. So, and what I mean by that is there's uh, and it, once you dive into comedy, you start to really understand some of the rhythms and some of the rules of comedy and, and just just how many rules there are. It's a, it's a fascinating subject, but uh, what you'll have in sitcoms is sitcoms are often very character-based comedy. Mm-hmm. So to give you an example, Friends is a perfect example of this. Uh, Chandler will just go, could I be any more Chandler? And that's funny because that's what Chandler does. That's his character trait. You know, if I was just say to you, could I be any more Anthony? That doesn't work because it's not the same thing. It's not a joke. There's not a setup. There's not a punchline. It's just a character thing. Um, so it's quite rare in sitcoms to get actual genuine jokes, things that are set, set up in a punchline, you know, wordplay or, or actual genuine gags, and Porridge is full of them. Right. So I think even as a kid, I was sort of slightly aware that it was different, and so I became a bit obsessed with it because of that reason, you know. Right, gang, you know the deal. It is time to show some love to the sponsors of the show, and we are approaching holiday season. 
And I know that a lot of you guys are out there uh, looking to buy gifts for yourselves this year. And uh, what better place to start if you're a filmmaker, if you're a photographer, if you're someone that needs a brand new computer, buy and build a PC. Holy shit, he said PC. Yes, you can build the PC. It's fine. They won't crash. They won't give you trouble. Um, And uh, I've been editing all my movies on PCs now for, I don't know, almost seven years. Uh, And I love them. I love not being restricted, right? Maybe it's just because I'm a Generation Xer. I hate it when fucking people only give me a limited amount of choices. And I hate it when people tell me that you have to do it. I also hate being shamed into doing shit by the fucking society that we live in. It drives me insane. But I'm not going to do that shit. I'm not going to sign up for the cults. I'm not signing up for those giant corporations. F that. I want a machine. I want a computer that is a tool. I do not want to be manipulated by my by the products I buy. That's it. You know? If you were going if you were going to go buy a fucking shovel. The crazy thing is is that I can't believe I'm going to say this, but the crazy thing is is that a company, a tech company could come out right now with a fucking shovel that thumbprints you and that like tells you when it's ready to dig and everybody would go out and get this fucking thing and then you'd have to subscribe to it monthly to be able to use the fucking shovel. How the hell did we get this way? At what point? At what point did we decide that this is how we're going to do shit? It's insane to me. Right? Oh, your boy fell off the fucking rant wagon. Yeah, I know. Sorry, guys. Anyway, Puget Systems. One of the reasons why I went with them is I was looking for a computer company that would build me a machine specifically the way I need it built. I was looking for a company that had real-life tech support. I'm talking about getting people on the phone for real and talking to them when I have an issue. Um, And uh, I wanted to build a PC because I wanted to be able to upgrade my machines. I don't believe in just tossing things out when they expire. I believe in having a case that's large enough to be able to swap out the hardware I need. And as we know, there's consistent updates on software and everything else that cause us to have to do these upgrades and cause us to have to do hardware upgrades. So why in the world would you just buy a system that locked you in to the amount of hardware that you can use or even worse, locked you into a price point for all the hardware that you had to use? Why would you do that? Do yourself a favor. Go to PugetSystems.com and check them out. See what it is that I'm ranting about. These guys do it differently and I love them for it. And these guys don't manufacture computer parts. They build machines. That means they have no loyalties to any of the hardware manufacturers out there. So they're consistently looking for what works best. And they're they're benchmark testing, they're beta testing new gear. They're working closely with the software folks to figure out what runs the fastest and what is worth the most money. It's a great way to build your machines. So go to PugetSystems.com, check it out. Uh, There's a link below. Click the link below the episode and they'll know that I sent you. Or you can say, hey, Mike sent me from In Love With The Process. Tell me about your shit. That's simple. So go to PugetSystems.com. Also supporting the show, as always, are our good friends over at Quasar Science. If you are getting ready to get out of quarantine, right? Are you going to be one of those first people that go out there and get that fucking vaccine and just shoot it right in your eyeball? Third arm be damned, right? You worried about becoming sterile? Nah, fuck that. Got to get back to work. Got to get out of the house. Got to get out of our little social prisons that we've been put in, right? So that means... You're probably a videographer that needs to update his kit. And I get these questions all the time. Mike, 
What do you have in your lighting kits? Well, let me tell you, I got a bunch of shit, but one of my favorite things that I have in there are my tubes from Quasar Science. One of the best advancements in the movie industry over the past five, 10 years has been lighting. LED lighting has sort of changed the game. Changes the game on like how much power you need on set, changes the game on how big your crews need to be for the lighting teams, changes the game on a lot. You could do some really amazing stuff with LED lights. Uh, go to Quasar Science and check it out. If you're looking to buy uh, tubes for your kit, they have the best of the best. I'm talking about quality LED lights, stuff that is true color balanced, okay? There's nothing worse than buying a fucking shitty LED unit from China on fucking eBay. And then when you're in the edit room, you're like, does this shot look a little bit more fucking purple than the last one? And then you're doing the ungodly task of trying to color grade it all out, color correct it out. Why do that? You're adding more time to yourself. At some point in time, you have to spend the money, right? You're either gonna spend it on post-production or you're gonna spend it on getting good gear, which makes your post go faster. So that's the deal. I would do that because most of the time your clients don't want to pay you for the extra time in post, right? You know what I'm talking about when you deal with that. Oh, hey, we just have this additional edit thing. We just need a little promo piece cut. You could just add that onto the thing, right? Yeah, sure, you dick. <laughs> so go to QuasarScience.com and check it out. See what it is that I'm ranting about. Uh, okay, also, holiday season is approaching. And you need to buy gifts for friends, correct? And maybe you're worried that a lot of your friends are just illiterate, right? The country was divided for quite some time and you're just sort of concerned that a lot of people out there aren't reading books. <laughs> well, if you are going to sign up for an Audible trial, if you're gonna sign up for Audible with, for any of your family members or for any of your gift recipients, do the Audible trial for us right? Because everybody that signs up using the Audible free trial, I think it's audibletrial.com backslash in love with the process. The link is below the episode. Uh, if you click on that link, and if you haven't signed up for it yet, you'll get a 30-day free trial, which comes with a free audiobook, access to all of Audible stuff, and we get paid, which is super awesome. So it is a great way to support the show without it costing you a dime. That's just for signing up for the trial. Maybe you're a cheapo depot, right? And you're like, hey, I got you an Audible thing for a month for Christmas, and you didn't even pay for it. <laughs> it's a pretty sweet move, you know? So think about it. Click the link below, sign up for an Audible free trial using, like I said, the In Love With The Process link, which is underneath the episode, and we will get paid. And after 30 days, if you're doing it, and you're like, look, my unemployment check stopped. I can't really afford this. Cancel. We still get paid doesn't matter. I know you're probably going to stick around because the content on there is really good. I'm on Audible right now. Oh, fuck. I didn't talk about this yet. Have you heard? Ready Player Two is out. The book is out. I was such a huge fan of Ready Player One, and now Ready Player Two is out. And I just got it last week, and I am listening to it on Audible, and it is fantastic. So, bet you didn't know that. Ready Player Two is out on Audible right now. So if you're going to go listen to that, if you're going to sign up, use the link below our episode. And if you want to continue to support the show in other ways, you can go to inlovewiththeprocess.com and click on our sponsors link. 
there. There's a bunch of different ways to give to the show. You can, dono- you can donate directly to the show. Uh, you can sign up for a bunch of our other credit card deals that we have on there. If you are financially responsible, don't do it otherwise. Um, but uh, you can find all that with a look. Jesus, my mouth just stopped. You can find all that on lovewiththeprocess.com. There you can also find episodes that are curated by subject material. So if you're a new listener to the show, if you're a newcomer to the show and you're like, man, there's over 100 episodes, how do I do this? Do I start at number one and do I try to catch up? Or you can just go there and listen to the episodes based upon the subjects that you want to listen to. So if you want to hear stuff from directors only, I've got directors, I've got chefs, I've got musicians, all sorts of stuff. It's all at inlovewiththeprocess.com. And while you're listening to the show, what I do is I create a page or blog page for each episode specifically that has all the supplemental material all in one place. So if you're looking for like the trailers for movies that we talk about, if you're looking for links for stuff that we're talking about, it's all there. So say it with me. What is my point? You should be going to inlovewiththeprocess.com when you listen to these episodes. All right? God, I know it's like dragging you guys to drink fucking water. It's like, get down there, drink it. Darn. Go to that, go to our website. For the love of God. <laughs> okay, enough. I'm going to get back into it with Anthony. By far, what do you think is the best comedy show? What is the one that, that inspires you the most? Well, there's three questions in there for a start. So the best comedy show is impossible to answer. <laughs> and and this is this is the heart of why comedy is so wonderful, because comedy is so subjective. What makes you laugh just may not make me laugh. Hmm. And there's something there's something I always come back to with this, where comedy invokes a feeling in something that other genres just don't. So so if I was to say to you, Breaking Bad is the best TV show of all time ever. What, what's your What's your reaction to that? Uh, I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's the best ever, but I think it's pretty good. Yeah, that's there you my go. Reaction. So it's it is a pretty good show. You can see why I would think that. You don't agree? That's fine for someone to have that opinion. Yeah, right. Okay. The Big Bang Theory is the best comedy show of all time. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. See, now that's it. That that right there, that reaction of like that's a very polite okay. That's yeah. you holding back a surge inside you of disagreement, of anger almost, of how dare you state something so obviously incorrect. And that's comedy. Comedy does that to people. Yeah. Where where there's and the reason for that is is because because making someone laugh is so personal because it is so subjective. If you once you discover a comedy, you, you, have a, you have an ownership over it. You know, it becomes part of you. And so when someone says something which you disagree with, that then becomes a statement of fact that is incorrect, that you feel the need to correct. Yeah, and comedy is the only genre that does that in people. Yeah, it's very true. It's very, very true. I think close second would probably be horror movies because the fans are so crazy. That's it. That's there's a real and sci- sci-fi is good as with that as well. You know, yeah, just yeah, yeah. there's something about sci-fi that really gets to people in a, in a very similar way, where they where those worlds become worlds that they have ownership of. They they become part of them. It's very true. It's a fascinating way to look at it. I never did, mm. huh? Um, I think just as a random aside on that, I think one of the reasons that I think Star Wars is so so revered amongst filmmakers. Um, 
isn't because of anything technical about it, because almost everything about it is quite poor. The acting's bad, oh, you yeah. know, cinematography's not great, all that stuff. But it's that it's a film that created an entire universe from nothing that the world believed in, in a way that no other created universe is believed in mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's why Star Wars is so revered. It's in, it's, it's in the same wheelhouse of that ownership thing. Yeah, it's true. It is true. If I can harness that shit. <laughs> yeah, I know. I said, what a wonderful thing that's to have as a filmmaker, yeah. you know, to create something like that that affects people in such a way. Well, Because that, that's what we're trying to do, essentially. But you're trying to affect your audience. You're trying to entertain them in such a manner that, that, they, that, you, that you connect with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the ultimate goal, isn't it? The filmmaking. Yeah, totally. You know, maybe I've experienced something or I've seen something and I'm, I, I think it would be interesting if other people experience it the same way. I mean, it, at the end of the day, that's what I'm trying to do is just recreate an emotion that I had when I ingested whatever the hell it is that I'm telling you. you know? Exactly, exactly. And that's, and again, and that, to bring back to editing, that's exactly what editing is. Editing is, you're, you're the first viewer as an editor. You're the person who is taking this world that, all these other people have created and, and molding it into a way to present that feeling to an audience. Mm. That's your, your job is to create that feeling of, uh, the, is, your job is to create the feeling you want the person at home on the sofa to feel. Yeah, totally. That's what editing is. To- that's why I love working with an editor mm-hmm. because they, that editor is the first audience, especially when you're coming off set, you know, and you're coming in and you're like, I fucking shot this amazing stuff. And you come in the room and the, your first audience member is like, yeah, it really wasn't that good. And you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I, so, so, uh, so again with your Mandy podcast, uh, you, they mentioned about, um, editors being on set and how useful it is. Mm-hmm. I try and stay away from set. I hate going on set. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. I just, just stay the hell away. I mean, sometimes it's neat. if you, if you're on an indie film, having stuff there to make sure you shot it right, that works, of course. And if you're doing something ridiculous, like um, I know that I know that Paul and John were on set for Baby Driver, and that was needed because it was so structured and so planned out. They needed to make sure that that stuff worked. But but I'm an editor, and even though officially I'm part of the crew, I'm not part of the crew. Right. You know. Right. right. They're on set. They're in the trenches. They're getting rained on. They're eating crappy craft lunches. They're doing <laughs> fifteen hour days. They're doing night shifts. I'm sat in a nice cozy room watching telly, you know, I'm not part of the crew. We're not the same. Also, no one on set has a first idea of what it is that I do. So <laughs> Which you know, I they, think they work, I work really hard and then it goes into my room and it comes out and they don't see their work on, on, on the screen and they go, what have you done? I also so, think that that's, I always say it on the show and I, I think I'm going to say it in the intro for this one, like <clears throat> crew people need to spend more time visiting edit rooms because they'll get an idea of what is important and what is not important. And I think half the time as a director that has been an editor and has been in places, I'm just spending a lot of time convincing people like, just leave that fucking thing there. No one's going to give a shit. It's not going to go in the edit. Like if you, we're not going to see it. We don't care. It's, yeah, uh, exactly. But that's, you, that's it. So, but to go back to your point with um, it's, you know, the, the this the mood that you have on set, I just I just can't be tainted by it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I have to judge what's on the screen, and and it's it's kind of it's kind of weird because when you start being an editor, you know, it's it to work in film and TV is your goal. It's it's a dream of yours. You know, you don't get into this business unless you really dream of doing it. There's a million better ways to make money in this world. <laughs> Very so, true. So 
so, but part of that dream is being part of the process, you know, it's being on set, it's, it's hanging out with the superstars, you know, it's, it's having the ear of the director, it's all that sort of stuff. So it takes a while to learn that that's not your place, mm. you know? So, and again, it, like I said, it all comes back to being tainted. The, the amount of times I have had someone go, oh, that scene is hilarious. Oh, it's so funny. You wait till you watch it and you watch it back and you go, this is drivel. What are they talking about? <laughs> but equally, the flip side of that as well, where you get a call from set with the director going, I don't think we got the scene. I don't think it's very good. I'm really panicking. I don't know we're going to be able to pick it up. We'd have to, you'd have to tell me now because maybe we can get it first thing in the morning, but we've got to strike the set and you go, hang on, leave it with me. And you load it up and you watch it back and it's hilarious. <laughs> and you go, what, what's he talking about? And he called him up and he started talking about it and you realize actually it's, you know, oh, they shot it on Saturday at 9 p.m. on the sixth day and it'd been raining all day and everyone's cold and the craft lunch was bad right. and everyone was in a bad mood. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, no, fine. Of course you don't think it's good because you're knackered and hungry. And right. Whereas but in, on the screen, it's funny. You've got it. Don't worry. Just go shoot the next scene. I've got this. You're fine. Yeah. No, that's good points, actually. That's really good point that you that you need to be distant from that. I mean, that's what we try to do. That's what I try to do when I direct something. If I have the ability to, I'll try to like take at least a few days off before I even get into the edit room because it's like I need yeah. to I need to decompress and probably sleep and cry a lot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's it. You need, and you need to get that, you need to get those experiences out of your head as well. You yeah. know, all, the, all those moods and feelings. Yeah. You need to distance. I whenever a director's sort of going, Okay, well we finished the shoot, I'll come in the next day, I'm like, No, you're not. Yeah. No, you're banned. You're banned for a week. You know, go off, go go see your mum, go watch a film elsewhere, go and do some knitting or something, but you can't come in, <laughs> you know. I'll, 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 I, will t I will say when the film's ready for you to watch, then you can come in. Well, so there's something else that's really interesting. What do you, what do you find, um, what do you find more... How do I how do I ask this question? What do you find more interesting? Do you think uh, scripted comedy is more interesting, or do you think um, improv comedy is more interesting for television? Uh, I think scripted comedy is far more interesting for television. Improv's interesting live, mm -hmm. but I but I think I think it's scripted. There's the reason being is is and it, it comes from I think it comes from experience. I've been incredibly lucky to work with some of the best comedy writers on the planet mm -hmm. and just to see their process and, and the way that they think is a real eye opener because great comedy feels just completely effortless. Mm. The idea of a stunning comeback being plucked out of the air, you know, is is something truly wonderful. It's it's something we all, all all kind of aspire to in in a way, you know. Like we've all we've all we've all repeated a joke that someone's told us, obviously, but we've all kind of stolen a line from a TV show mm -hmm. and tried to adopt it as part of our personality. Once upon a time, we all do that when we're young, mm -hmm. um, because it feels effortless. It feels like something that that's a person can do. That that is a thing that a person can do. But actually, when you see how the comedy writers work. It's not. They spent, you know, that line can take them four or five weeks to come up with. Yeah. And they will try so many versions. We have a, we had a thing on Veep that used to happen uh, where we would, right at the very end of the edit, we're, you know, the last couple of days of each episode would have a point where there would be a, a maybe a place where there's room for an ADR gag. There's, we can drop in one more joke through ADR. 
Mm. And what Armando Inucci, the showrunner, would do is he would he would fire an email to the writers, you know, and he would say, "Okay, here's the scene in this episode. We've got we've got room for one joke. Best joke gets in, and make it like a competition, and then sit there." And we go get a cuff, and we come back, and 15 minutes later, we'd have 30, 40, 50 pitches from all the writers, all desperate to get their one joke in. <laughs> wild. That's wild. Yeah, and it, and it was the best way of doing it because 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 some of the you know, there's some really great jokes that came from that process because because it's um, it's just it's that idea of writers just they they understand the show they understand the characters they understand the rhythms so well that it's just something you can't quite catch with improv uh, and, okay so this is fascinating too because we're talking about timing here as well and like how much time you have in each of these scenes and how much time you have for jokes um is there like a do you find like a there ends up being a formula on like a show like Veep where you are like, okay, so we know that this scene's gonna be about three minutes and so that'll fit like this many jokes into it. But not at all. No, there's there's um I actually I actually find cutting movies easier with this than cutting TV. Because movies you can screen to an audience. You can do test screenings. Yeah. Um so you're basically just going, I haven't laughed in a while. That's a problem, isn't it? I should look at that. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. That sitcoms are editing sitcoms are a really interesting exercise because uh so comedy's way harder to ed- edit than drama mm-hmm. um uh, uh documentaries are the hardest and then it's horror films and comedy together and then it's drama bottom um uh and there's a lot of people out there who do drama who will be screaming at me for saying that <laughs> uh, but the reason is is because drama in drama you have to tell a story in comedy, you have to tell a story and you have to tell jokes and you yeah. have to do both. Yeah, yeah. And so the balance of story versus comedy is a, ba- is a battle that you have in every comedy show. Um, what we would do often in Veep is we would find that, you know, we, because Veep's a comedy and we want it to be funny, we took, out, we took out all the story we thought we could get away with taking it out and then we'd watch the episode and it wouldn't make any sense whatsoever. And we go, okay, well then we have to put this bit back in and we have to put this bit back in. And okay, well maybe we just drop this entire storyline altogether. But that was the best way of go, of making sure the show was funny enough. Whereas equally I've been on, uh, you know, I've experiences on not quite as good shows where there are stretches where you just get bogged down in story and you're going, you're going, I, we've got to ditch some of this because we've got to get to the next laugh. We're just, we're just telling stories that aren't that interesting. People, people want to be laughing here. I think we should, I think we should drop the storyline. Yeah, because then that comes down to the writing as well, where it's like, mm-hmm. if you're doing a show for comedy, then it is about the laugh and it is about falling in love with the comedians and falling in love with the characters and make, and, 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 and that aspect of it. And sometimes when I see comedy shows, you feel like the story is just sort of pedestrian where it's just like, let's just come up with a basic story for this. He loves her and he loves yeah. him and blah, 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 blah. And, and you see that on some programs where they get lost in the story and you're like, the story isn't interesting. You just grabbed yeah. some skeleton to lay some jokes on. So like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, makes and sense. great comedy shows have really interesting stories too. I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, like a lot of great rom-coms are wonderful stories as well. Mm. Um, and, uh, uh, I mean, yeah, like a lot of the Friends episodes have have, have good stories. A lot of uh, a lot of Seinfeld have great stories, even though everyone great said stories. Seinfeld's about nothing. It's not. About yeah, nothing. No, it's, yeah. Always about, you know, it's about the small things. Uh, Larry, um, a, a, a Kirby enthusiasm has good stories. <laughs> yeah, fantastic stories. Yeah, really good stories. And so, 
so you can do them with comedy shows, but again, it's the balance of knowing how important your story is versus how often you need to make people laugh. Like I said, movies are easier to do with this because, because you get to do test screenings with movies. So you can take it into a theater and you sit at the back and you feel, you can just feel the room, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. you get a sense of, of when it dips, you start to see people shuffling. You start to see the silhouettes moving their seat a bit. The rustling of the popcorn gets a bit louder, you know, little, little heads tip as people are talking. And then, so then you can go, okay, there's something wrong here. We haven't had a laugh for a while because, because the theater is responding to it. But equally, you also have a better idea of where your best jokes are. Right. Um, there's something about test screenings. Uh, and I, I, I love a test screening so much. They're just, they're invaluable. Um, there's something about test screens that inform you of a joke that you thought was hilarious. That is not at all in the slightest, <laughs> but also a joke that you didn't realize was a joke that will actually bring the house down. Fascinating. Yeah. There's been a few times in my work where I've done like not even cause I consider myself a horror movie and a, and a suspense director, but I've mm-hmm. had a few jokes that have been written in my movies and that when you write a joke, you're like, Oh, that's funny. That's cute. You put it down and then you do the process of filming it. You're just like, was this fucking funny? I don't even know if this is fucking funny anymore. And then yeah. you get into the screening of it and people <laughs> chuckle at it and you go, Oh, okay. I guess that still worked. Okay, cool. <laughs> Cause I had no but idea. You must've had the same thing with horror movies where you go, well, this is a huge scare and this is a small scare. And then yeah. you get it into the room and you go, they're not scared. Oh wow. They're really scared by that. Yeah. Well, I mean, with horror, it's, horror is so strange because it's when you st- when you're cutting horror, <laughs> when you're putting the horror together and you're assembling it, is the most boring fucking thing you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> Which is like people walking down the hallway making strange faces and afraid to open doors, and it's just really bad production audio. <laughs> and you're just like, what the fuck is this thing? You know. And it that's why when I cut horror stuff, I have to be sound designing at the same time because the mm. sound informs the edits. It informs the pacing incredibly with horror stuff, uh, more so than if I was cutting something together that was dramatic, where it's usually driven by the dialogue and the rhythm of the dialogue. Um, but uh, yeah, it's fascinating shit. It's weird. And wow, I, I've never so that's really because cool, I've never done horror, so I don't know. But oh, okay, okay. It sounds so important. Yeah, in comedy, so the idea the idea of I've, now you said it. Of course, it would be so much more important than horror. That makes so much more sense. Yeah, yeah, dude, because it's. It's essential because with, especially if you're doing low budget shit, you're dealing with the perception, right? So it's all about what the audience thinks is on the outside of the camera, right? So good horror is all about what is on the, what is the shit that I can't see? Like what is just Hmm. beyond the lens? And the only way they have any sort of notion of what the fuck that is, is through audio and sound design. It just is. And, and then with audio and sound design and horror, it also is the physical representation of emotion. So like if right. I'm going to drive, and you know this, like if I'm going to drive someone to feel a certain way, like if I want someone to fall in love with the lead on that show, not only am I going to light her differently, not only is there going to be a, 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 like a sparkle light in her eyes, not only is the, the camera lens going to get tighter and very specific, but the music is going to go, hey, heart. Hey, there's a reason why you're having a boner. Yeah, I've designed that boner with the soundtrack here. You know what I mean? Does you feel that way? Yeah. yeah. It's at the same, it's, um, yeah, it's the same thing. So when you're talking about what's on the outside of the screen with horror, that's really interesting because yeah. 
it, in comedy, there's a very similar thing, which is often what's unsaid. Mm-hmm, yes. And, you, and that's what you're leaning into. So there's, there's, a, there's an old phrase, which is comedy's in the two shot. And lots of people repeat that, and it's not true. Mm. Comedy's in the shot that tells the story from the point of view of the joke. So to give an example of this, if you, um, like a classic kind of comedy trope would be a stupid character, you know. So you've got like your Homer Simpson, for example. Mm-hmm. And Homer Simpson will say something stupid. And he can say it to a crowd and the crowd will hear him say something stupid. And we will enjoy him saying something stupid because the crowd are reacting to that. Right. Now, if let's say, for example, you take Seinfeld and you've got George Costanza, mm-hmm. right? And he says something stupid, but he says it in a board meeting. Now, he realizes he says something stupid, and the comedy comes from his realization. So rather than being in two shot, you want to be in a close of him. You want to feel his discomfort, and you want to understand where he's coming from. You know, your point of view is through his lens in that world. And the comedy is, is, is him seeing himself fall from grace. Right. And even though you've got two, you've got two jokes that are done the same, your presentation of them will be entirely different depending on the joke you're telling and the POV of the character and the POV of the joke. Huh. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Um, and it makes sense. Oh, you worked on Vice Principals. That must have been. I did, yeah. That must have been an interesting, because the, their humor on that show is it's almost horror humor. <laughs> you know I mean? it, it's really cringe, really kind of really twist the knife kind of humor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes sense that they went off to do it as well. Very yeah. good at it. Dude, and that's a very, it's, it's a very difficult line to trade with that sort of humor because um, uh, if you don't go far enough, people won't buy it. If you go too far, you become cruel. And so there's a very thin line to tread without humor. Yeah, no, totally. It makes sense why they went off to do the new Halloween franchise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, no, I love, I love Danny McBride and I love those guys. I think that their, their humor is my humor, which is, which is, which is almost (laughs) cruel. It's almost me. But uh, no, it's super cool that you got to work on that show. It, yeah, that was good fun. Yeah. And there's a big difference between that show and like Veep, you know, you must learn different lessons from different creators all the time. All the time, all the time. There's, there's, for a start, the way that everyone approaches comedy is different. And, um, the, and again, it, it kind of goes back to what's subjective, you know, mm. you, there's something about, it's very tempting to learn who the person is and then try and guess what it is, what they want. When you, so when you're editing with them, mm-hmm. you kind of go, okay, well, they're like this, they're like that. But actually that never really works because you're not, you're not trying to put a representation of them on screen. You're trying to find what's best for the show. There's something, I got asked a question once uh, by, by a new editor who was sort of saying, how do I find my style? How do I find my edit style? Mm. It's a really interesting question because editors don't have a style, right? You know, we, the style is what the, what the style is, what, what is the right style for the show? You know, and like I can, I can cut Veep and I can cut Vice Principles and I can cut The Hustle for MGM, which is an entirely different beast, Yeah, you know? Um, and, but they're all different because 
because they all live in a different world and they all have a different style. And part of editing is finding what that is. You can, you can go into an edit knowing what you want the tone to be, but the show will inform you what the tone is yeah. and you have to find it. Well, that's important. You're, you're just sort of getting over your, you're getting out of your own way because it, I, I get that from a lot of young uh, filmmakers in general. And it isn't necessarily just editors. It's also photographers. And because I spent years being a photographer myself. And I was asked that question by young photographers where it was like, when did you figure out that you had, how did you develop your style? And I'm like, I didn't. Like, and honestly, mm -hmm. the style ultimately for any of my work, whether it's photography or whether it's for directing, is ultimately created by the decisions that I make when I'm not getting what I need. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So like yeah. at the end of the day, you know, I have all these plans and I'm like, I'm prepping a movie right now and I have all these things that I'm putting down on paper and I get to sit here comfortably and eat way too much sliced meats and you just look at a script and go like, it's going to be amazing. You know what I mean? And like plan this whole fucking thing out. And then you get there and you're just like, what do you mean you didn't tell him that we needed to shoot in this fucking room? Or <laughs> what is, get the actor out of the fucking shit. How to, why'd you send them home early? What the fuck? And so then that, you're, you're confronted with all these onset things that you're like, all right, so how do, I, how do I pull this together? And then those are the things that you start to get recognized for. And it took me 20 years to realize that where you're sitting in a room or you're doing an interview with someone and they're like, this moment here, this you must have had issues with your father for this moment. <laughs> and literally, you don't want to be like, well, no, the fucking second AD sent that asshole home, so I had to do this shit. And so then that becomes what your style is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's... Um, I'm slightly aware that we're talking in this in very nebulous terms, and there'll be people out there going, I get what you're saying, how do I do all this? Okay. So, so thinking of that... Um, what you just said about tone, um, it's, 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 it's what you find when what you want isn't there is entirely true. But, but to understand what it is that you want that isn't there, you have to know your audience. Yeah. And so this goes back to an editor being the first audience member. You have to know who your audience is and you have to be making the show for them. They're the most important person in the edit always. Um, the example I'll always go back to on this is making the hustle for MGM. Mm -hmm. So the hustle is rated at 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it made $96 million worldwide on a budget of 30 million. And I am so proud of those two figures, I can't begin to tell you. Because, <laughs> because we didn't make it for the critics. We didn't make it for middle-aged men. We didn't make it for people who are looking for deep meaning themes or mise-en-scene in their films. We didn't make it for any of those people. We made it for 21-year-old girls, you know, and our audience is 21-year-old girls and 15-year-old girls and 29-year-old girls, and they're girls in middle America. That's who we made it for. And those people love that film. Yeah. No. And when I was editing it, all of the editing was thinking about what does Stacy from Detroit want to see on this screen? <laughs> Not what does, you know, the New York Times critic want to see, because I can give two shits what he thinks of this movie. I care what Stacy from Detroit thinks. Yeah. Now it's true. And that's how you know what the tone of your film is. Yeah, because you know your audience at that point. Smart. Yeah. It's very And that's smart. also why 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 test screenings work so well. Because you fill your theater full of Stacy and then you ask her, you go, What do you like? <laughs> and they'll tell you because I'm not Stacy, I'm 41 and I'm English and I'm a bloke. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm pretty good at guessing, which is why I'm hired to do what I do. 
But I'll let Stacy tells me, I'll let her laugh. And when she laughs, I'm like, great, that stays in. And when she doesn't laugh, I'll take it out. <laughs> no, that's very true, man. That's very true. It's smart. I Look, I love test screenings too. I like test screenings if you and I are putting them together. The test screenings yeah. that kind of drive you crazy are the ones where the studio is like, oh my God, yeah. You know, yeah. like this doesn't yeah. fit the demo. After we had this crisis online socially, now we have to go back and you're just like, yeah. fuck. You know, so if I could just stop screening everything in Sherman Oaks, I'd be so much happier. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. So, ah, dude, this is cool. This is, this is a great conversation, man. I'm very happy. I'm very glad you enjoy. I'm enjoying it too. This is great. I'm, I'm you know, but I think the gin and tonic I'm drinking is really helping as well. Uh, perfect, dude. Perfect. Yeah, I wish I was right. <laughs> I had, like, I literally have a doctor's appointment at 1.30. So if I go in there hammered, <laughs> I'm going to get a bad write-up. So... <laughs> I should point out to listeners, it is 7 p.m. or am. Yeah, Just, uh, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. On, on our end, note, it's 11, yeah. it's uh, almost 12 in the <laughs> afternoon. So <laughs> the power of the internet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all right, all right, all right. So let, let, let's see. Um, that being said, I'm fascinated. The, the, I, the thing that you and I would probably nerd out heavily with is I'm, I'm fascinated with the timing and the structure. Like, I did a movie, and my listeners know, I, I say this all the time, but you don't know. I, I did a movie uh, in another language. So I did, uh, my last uh, proof of concept was in Russian, and I don't speak Russian. And so mm-hmm. I, I edited this film, and I edited it before it was translated, and I just basically went off of speech patterns. And I went through, and I was like, okay, I'd watch a wide shot, and here's the rhythm, here are the patterns, and here are the sounds. And I started to cut the scenes together that way because I didn't have time to get it translated. Um, and so for me, it's all about the rhythm and it's about the volley of emotion in a scene and the volley of power in a scene, especially if you're doing something with suspense. Like it, there's a reason why the subject goes from standing up to sitting down. There's a reason why the camera does this because it's all about, uh, who controls a moment, uh, emotionally. And does that control stay with that character or is that volley to somebody else or does a character take it from that person? And that's what makes uh, scenes dynamic to me. Now, adding in jokes into that is a whole other thing because at that point, not only are you volleying who is commanding the scene or who's taking control of the scene, but you're also trying to make us laugh in there too. So it's, it sounds twice as complicated. I'm so glad you asked this question because I've had a very similar experience. I I did some work on Los Spookies, the HBO show. Mm-hmm. Uh, which if, if you haven't seen it out there, I highly recommend going to watch it. It's really good. Uh, and that's, that's, uh, that's a Mexican show. So it's in Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So I edited in a language I don't speak. And I had exactly the same experience as you. The, the rhythms are just there. You, you just understand the rhythm. You can watch five takes of a joke in a long language you don't speak and you go, take four is the funniest. Yeah. You just, you just know it, you know, there's some, and it's, it's, it's because, it's because comedy's binary. It's funny or it isn't. There's no, there's no middle ground. There's no nebulousness. There's no kind of, oh, what if we did this? Or what if we did that? It makes people laugh or it doesn't. And that's the only God when it comes to comedy. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can say, you can say, oh, you know, well, we'd like this joke because it's a smiler joke or we like this joke because it makes you think so. No, 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 no. It makes people laugh or it doesn't. And if it doesn't make people laugh, get out of the show. Yeah. At the end of the day, at the because you don't want a yeah. joke that kind of makes people laugh. You want yeah. you want people laughing the whole fucking time. I've cut uh, my favorite joke from The Hustle and my favorite joke from In the Loop both got cut out. Really? 
because they didn't make people laugh as much as I thought they would. So they've got to go. <laughs> well, I think we've already established that you're not a 21-year-old girl from middle America. Well, so. exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're dressing like one, then you need to get some help, my friend. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a good reason this is just done audio. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. We wanted audio. Or we wanted video. And you're like, no, 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 yeah. no. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, see, it's, it's, I love this stuff. This stuff starts to get so nerdy. Um, and it's important as a storyteller to understand this, but it's not necessarily important as an audience to understand this. But so if you're someone that likes to be blissfully ignorant, then you probably shouldn't be listening to this episode, <laughs> but I, there's something really fun and fascinating about finding those rhythms. And when I was cutting that, those scenes in a different language, it allowed me to let go of the text. So I, I just was like, fuck the text. Because at the end of the day, I know most people that are going to watch this thing are going to be watching it with subtitles anyways. And most people hate reading fucking subtitles. So I need to make this as interesting as possible visually yeah. with body yeah. language and everything else. You know, That's it. It's, so this is, this is a lesson I learned really early on. Uh, um, really early on. I, I was working on a sketch show and we had this sketch, which was seven and a half minutes long, which is just... It's, more than twice as long as it needs to be. Mm. And there's this bit in the middle where they had this section and it wasn't funny. And every time we played it, I was like, I think we should cut this middle section out. And the guys in the edit were like, oh, I think, no, I think we should leave it in for a bit longer. And I'm like, but it's, you know, it just, it's long and it's not funny and it's the least funny bit. <laughs> and eventually I discovered that, that it was the most expensive setup Right. of any sketch in the entire series. Right. And they were, and it was, and it was a reason that the reason it was in there was because it linked to another joke that was coming up in episode six. That was a callback to this, which by the way, wasn't particularly funny either. <laughs> so they were hanging on to all of this baggage. Yeah. When, when the only thing that matters is, is it funny? Yeah. Yeah. And this comes back to if you're, and if you're making something, I mean, you know, that's a very, that's a very comedy centric way to think about things. But if you're making any other genre, it, you know, just, just replace funny with entertaining. We're just making pieces of entertainment. That's all we're doing. And you just have to entertain your audience. And that's the most important thing. And lots of people get hung up on, on the story they're trying to tell or the message you're trying to bring across. It doesn't matter how good your message is. You can have the answer. You can, you can have the answer to the meaning of life. But if your movie is fuck boring, mm -hmm. no one's going to watch it. Yeah, totally, dude. So your first thing, the most important thing is, is it entertaining? Are you making a piece of entertainment? And that's, and if, if, if that's the only thing you worry about when you're making a show, and if that's the only thing you pay attention to, you're going to be fine. Yeah, because that's, that's kind of my mantra too, where it's like, is this dynamic? Is this interesting to look at? And I, I, I feel like... I say it on the show a lot. I, movies are a visual medium. Television is a visual mm -hmm. medium. And yes, uh, screenplays are incredibly important. You need them. And without a good screenplay, you've got shit. No matter what, no matter yeah. how you try to do it, you can't do it. Yeah. But writing's the most important thing, hands down. If you give me, if you give me a good script and a dreadful director, dreadful actors, dreadful cinematographer, dreadful sound mix and dreadful production design, I'll give you a good movie. Hmm. You know, you give me an average script with the best director in the world, the best actors in the world, the best cinematographer in the world, I can only give you an average average film. Right, right. Because at the end of the day, it comes down to the script. You yeah, know? it's all about the script. It totally is. And I, I think as a director, 
My issue is that I think a lot of folks are directing things these days that really don't have a concept of the whole visual medium, I think. And so yeah. like, there's a lot of really dud and boring coverage that's going on right now where it's like you look at a scene and you're like, okay, so here's a scene of exposition and you're covering it with like a wide and an over and an over and that's mm -hmm. it. It's like, there's a reason yeah. why people at this point are picking up their phones and checking to see if they got an email right now. Yeah. You know, like I, I like I love love or hate him. I I love Spielberg for his ability to make all his scenes dynamic and interesting, and uh, be telling that story visually with his camera movements and everything else. So that way, you're getting through these exposition scenes. You're getting through a lot of this boring content that is needed, um, but uh, it's still fun to watch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. There's um I don't I don't really go in for editing techniques so much. I think, you know, they're they it's useful to know them because you can pull them out when you when whenever you need them, you know, understanding understanding what an L cut is helps. Sure. But it's far more important to understand why you would use an L cut. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, So for people at home who may not know what we're talking about, an L cut is simply where your video and your audio cut at different points. So in a conversation between us two the video would cut to to you before I finish talking. And that's a technique that I see a lot of people use it for the sake of using it. You know, the reason you cut to you before I finish talking is to see your reaction to receiving the information that I give you. That's a reason to use an L cut. If you don't have that reason, don't use the L cut. Techniques I'm not so bothered about. There is, um, there is one technique which I think is really important for editors to know. And that is just how to put a scene together on a really basic level. Mm. And the way to do it is if you're having a conversation, you start with a wide. So you establish the geography where everyone is and you do mid shot, mid shot, mid shot, mid shot. And then you find the one important sentence of, of the scene, the one, the one sentence the scene's about. And on that sentence, you punch in for a close, you do close, close, and then you end in wide and away you go. And I think it's really important that everyone knows that because that will get you out of jail. Yeah, if for sure. you cut every scene like that, it'll be all right. Go back to your point. It won't be particularly interesting. You'll lose the audience halfway through because of pacing, but all your scenes individually will be fine. And if you're ever stuck, if you're ever at a point where things aren't going well or they've messed up or they didn't get the coverage, you can rely on that. And it's a really useful thing to be able to rely on. Having said that, that's how they made TV in the 60s. You know, that's how The Outer Limits works. And The Outer Limits is fantastic, don't mm -hmm, get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But we are in an age where... TV at the moment is really exciting. Um, and, and you have to bear with me now because this is going to be a little bit of a rant. I'm going to go off on one here. Do so, it. So um, TV is really exciting right now. Uh, and I don't think the world really quite understands what's going on with it. So films are essentially just plays, you know. Yeah. They're filmed plays. And we're pretty good at making plays. We were pretty good back in the Greek times 2,000 years ago. Uh, Aristotle wrote a book called Poetics about how to write a play and it still holds up. Read that and you can write a screenplay off of that, no problem. So we've had 2,000 years of telling stories that are an hour and a half, two hours long. You know, we know the rhythms, we know the beats, we're really good at it, we really hone that down. Right now, in, for the first time in human history, we are able to, to tell stories in a different manner. You know, here's... A season. Here's four seasons. How long are your seasons? Are they six episodes? Are they 10 episodes? Are your episodes half an hour? Are they an hour long? Or are they 45? Or sometimes are they half an hour? Sometimes are they an hour 10? 
And what we're doing is we're throwing open the shackles of storytelling for the first time in a very, very long time. And all of these very clever writers that, that exist in the world are suddenly able to do anything they want. And that's what's going on in TV at the moment. And as a result, it means that that that, that, that idea, that nebulous of excitement of, of having the shackles thrown off is filtering down into all the different departments. Yeah. Uh, there's a show called Homeland on, on Amazon Prime with Julia Robertson. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a very tight thriller and it's half hour episodes. And I suggest that everyone watch it because they are messing around with things in that, that no one's ever messed around with the, just the aspect ratios they use in that show are ridiculous. And they are something that would be unthinkable five years ago. If you put that show on, on air five years ago, everyone would go, what the hell is this? Whereas <laughs> now you were allowed to do it. And the editing in that as well is, uh, 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 Roseanne Tan is the editor, is the main editor on that. Blimey, like stuff she does in that is really, it's really considered and it's really experimental, but it's, but it suits the tone of the show. And so, and so, yes, it's always good to have a standard and yes, it's good to have techniques, but, but the world's changing very quickly and you can't get bogged down with things like L cuts or, or reaction shots. You have to find what your show is and you have to tell that show for what it is. Yeah, that's good advice, man. And you know what it is, is it's just, it's, it's, our business can be so, so magical, right? And so when you're, when you're deciding that you want to get into filmmaking, although it's changed a lot now with YouTube, but when you're deciding that you want to get into filmmaking, at least when I was younger, it was like, there's this magical, mythical thing that happens. Like, I, Mm. that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the show this way, because if I knew how how this business actually worked when I was younger, I would have been able to get over a lot of heartbreak and I would have been able to get in a little bit faster, I think, because yeah. there's, there's, there are these myths. Myths like, yeah. when I get an agent, everything's going to change. Big myth. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are all these different myths on how these things happen. Like, after I make my first feature and it does well and it gets high on Rotten Tomatoes, then I'm going to have a ton of other features coming to my eye. Myths, mm. myths, myths, myths. Yeah. Lots of them. And so then once you sort of break all those myths down, you understand that like, well, actually the job is all this daily shit. And I better like all this daily stuff that I'm doing because that's what it is. This is what the the tasks are of it. And I find that when you're younger and you're trying to get into this business, you're still kind of buying into the myth. And so at least I was when I was, when I was very young at it, you're struggling to find ways into it. And I think a lot of folks would be looking at technique as one of those things where it's like, I studied all my techniques. I know what an L cut is. I know how to, to, to cut away at this point. I know how to increase on pacing. I know how to do all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you're just learning. It's like, it's like learning how to cook. I know how to boil water. I know how to, mm-hmm. I know how to slice you know, my vegetables the right way. I know how to julienne stuff. Like I get that, but you're essentially supposed to be following the emotion of the story, the emotion that you're feeling as you process that story, and then picking all, like, you shouldn't even be thinking about the, that toolkit. You shouldn't be celebrating the fact that you have a wide paintbrush, a feathering paintbrush in your bucket. You just reach for it when you need to feather the fucking thing out. Yeah, um, I've, I've always said editing's like making a sandwich. Yes. You can give some all the ingredients, but man, you can mess it up from there. Yeah, totally true. You know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't put a whole tomato in a sandwich. <laughs> And you wouldn't put any tomato in if you knew your audience didn't like tomato. <laughs> yeah, man. I love that. I love it. And, and sandwiches are my favorite thing to make because yeah. 
there's so much creativity that can go into the confines of two pieces of bread. That's that's it. They're a form. They are two pieces of bread with a filling. Yep. But what a world you have to explore in that. You could spend the rest of your life having a different sandwich every day. Yep. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. And and like that's why I love to get nerdy about this stuff. It's why it's been fun to talk to you because there are so many like really fun little side stories and there's so many fun little details that are in editing because it, yeah. it isn't just, Hey, I've got these clips and slap them together. You know what I mean? It's, mm. it's this discovery. And it's also, also like a self discovery when you do a lot of projects where it's yeah. like, it's this thing of you have to, again, you're, you're never going to make it in the business unless you really love it. You yeah. know, you, it has to be on your bones, your DNA. It's, it's a brutal business and it will spit you out you know, unless you really want to be here, you know, you have to, and it doesn't matter what, I'm, I'm really lucky. I get to work on HBO shows and MGM films and that sort of stuff. But I, I started at the bottom, mm-hmm. you know, I made, I made some real drivel at the beginning, <laughs> but I still loved it. You know, I made, I made daytime reality shows, you know, the kind of like classic makeover a home show or, or yeah. dig out some, some, some garbage from the attic and try and sell it for, for like 40 pounds, you know, yeah. I made those shows. I still loved them. I still was just really enjoying making that show and going, Hey, I made that show or that version, of that show, which is in season 22. I made a one. I made one that looks like it. My show looks like it belongs with the rest of them. You know, it's on the air. It's on the BBC. Look at, look at me. This is cool. So you, so you have to carry that love for it through. Yeah. But, but again, I don't think you get into this business unless you have that love in the first place. I mean, we all know people who we all know directors who just want to be, photographed on the sunset strip taking sure, cocaine sure, with, sure, with Hollywood sure, actresses. Sure. <laughs> but, but the vast majority of us really just love film and we love TV. Yeah. And we just, we, we want to be that guy who's on the sofa going, hey, check this bit out, check this bit out, and just nudging our mate going, have you seen this? You know, that's, that's what we do. Yeah. I mean, those are the people that you find. And as a director, those are the people that I try to find for my crews. Because yeah. at the end of the day, you're, you're just sorting through it like, there are a lot of people, and I just moved out to LA, what, a year ago? So I'm from the East Coast initially, so I'm from Boston and worked and lived in New York. So I have that sort of East Coast cynicism for the for the US. Um, that's, but, a, that's a very interesting way of saying LA's horrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's not horrible, man. It's just, it is horrible. It is horrible. No, it's not. It's not horrible. I, I take it back. It's not horrible. It's just that it just has a higher, I find it has a higher... Um, distribution of horrible people than most places I've been. You know what it is? I put it that way. Yeah. You know what it is? <laughs> and I'll go a little bit further. It's it's the heaviest concentration of insecure folks in the country. <laughs> like people that yeah. people that have shit to prove. Like, you yeah. know, I fuck you. I'm gonna make something out of myself. I'm going to fucking LA. And so you just have <laughs> A very strong concentration of those those type of individuals out here, but there's a lot of really great folks that love movies, and I, I'm I'm a, I always there say are. I always say this: I'm not a director that has anything to prove, so I'm not I'm not waiting to get on stage and go see Dad. You know what I mean? Like none of that is in me. I I do this stuff and I put myself through the misery, the the waterboarding that it is to be a director, uh, because it's fun. It's a fucking blast yeah. and I've done it before yeah. and I know how fucking fun it is. So doing anything else to me sounds like a fucking job. And and yeah. so I spend every day of my life trying to convince people that I'm good enough to continue to have fun. And I want those people around me, people like yourself, where it's completely obvious 
that you're not here with anything to prove. There isn't an ego that I got to fucking wade my way through in order to get this project done. It's, can we have some fun today? And yeah. I love that in the edit room. There's nothing better than having to face the day of horrible shit where it's like, I got to sort through all this fucking footage. I don't know if any of it's good. And if you're in that space with somebody who loves it, who's laughing and turns around and goes, look at this shit. And you go, yes, that's, that's what yeah, it's about. For that's, that's it. I feel bad now. Cause I, cause I, cause I've just, I've just slagged off LA. So I feel terrible. For <laughs> cause I, I know, I know loads. I've got some really great friends who live in Los Angeles and they're amazing people. Look, uh, we're, we're not so now I feel terrible, but, but the, the, you're generalizing. But those you're people's just, neighbors are horrible. So that's fine. Yeah, exactly. You're generalizing. Yeah. That's what we do. So you're generalizing yeah. generally. You're either homeless or you're a piece of shit. No, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no, man, this has been, what do we have for time? Ah, we're, we're pushing our limit on time here. Um, we are talking to an editor after all. So he's going to be going, oh, you got to cut this down. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Luckily with podcasts, people will listen to us like go on and on for hours. So it's fine. Well, um, yeah, they'll, they'll, be setting that, they'll be setting that traffic out, 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 out in LA. So, so they've got plenty of time to listen. Yeah. Well, these days we're not allowed to do shit. They just locked us down again. So we're-, we're Oh yeah, right. Yeah, of course. Well, we got the same, but we're in lockdown here. So oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Everybody's like locked down. It's like, yeah, but especially for an editor, you're like, yeah, but I'm just going to be locked down anyways. I'm be in front of a computer. <laughs> so like, what's the difference? <laughs> um so let's let's wrap this thing up man uh this mm -hmm. has been such a great fucking conversation i have to have you back on again because i feel like always yeah we can Pretty go fun. into so much more to talk about oh yeah yeah man we can go into it deep um but this is the part of the show where i ask our guests to give a little bit of advice and you've already given a lot of great advice to the younger listeners out there but if how would you, and maybe it isn't an advice thing, maybe it's a story element of it, but was there a moment in time, and if not, how would you advise somebody registering when they're making decisions based upon their ego, and if they're making decisions based upon what is supposed to end, end up in there? Is there a way to recognize this? Was there a moment that you recognized that you were doing that? Oh, man. You see, Mike, you've thrown me there because I knew this question was coming because I've listened to the podcast. So I prepped it. And then you've asked me something which doesn't flow into my answer. Well, we could do so, two. Yeah. We'll do both. We'll do, yeah. Okay. So, um, oh, ego in the edit room. Wow. Oh, man. This is this could be a whole episode on its own. Ego in the edit room is fascinating because you have to have an ego. All the best editors have a huge ego because how could you not? You're walking into a room where where a company have, have spent tens of millions of dollars on a product mm -hmm. and you've got someone who is a professional writer being paid God knows how much to write it and this professional director, director being paid God knows how much to direct it and studio heads and everyone and everyone's been over it for years now and it turns up in your room and there's a problem with it that no one else saw and it's your job to fix it. Yeah. How can you not have an ego to yeah. be a person who does that? Equally though, you can't have an ego in, 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 in the room because, because the director is more important. The producer is more important. The film is more important. The audience is more important. You can't be the person who kicks off or gets precious about your work or, or in any way tries to protect what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so, it's, so I think, I think the best editors are the people who can balance those two things, who have the ego to say, I can fix this and I can create something that 
that creates a universe for people to buy into. But equally, I know when to shut the hell up. I know when to do something that's bad because so-and-so is in a bad mood. I know when to put in a studio note to, so that means we get away with the other thing down there. It's the balance of ego. And that is, I don't know you can learn it. I think that's, I think, well, no, you can learn it, but it comes from experience. I think you just have to make the mistakes. And I've made plenty in my life. I've plenty of times in my career when I should have shut the hell up, plenty of times where I should have pushed more my ideas. It's just experience. It's just being in the room and knowing and learning, learning those things. Yeah. It's good advice, man. It's good advice. What did you, <laughs> what did you prep for us? What was Well, what I had two pieces of advice of how to be a good editor. <laughs> what do you got? What do you got? <laughs> so, so I was going to say the first one is, um, is to just remain a fan of stuff. It's very, I see a lot of, uh, a lot of the younger kids come through and they learn a bit and it's something that I did as an early age. I know everyone does it to some extent where you learn a bit and you get a bit snobby about things. You get a bit kind of like, well, this is better than this and this, this is better than this. Just don't be that guy. Just always be a fan of everything. You know, like if you, if you like watching trash TV, you know, if you like watching the, you know, um, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, watch it you know, and just, just enjoy it and be a fan of it because you can take that fandom into the edit. And it's those people who are fans of those shows. It's those, it's that feeling that you're trying to recreate. So always remain a fan of things. And then the second piece of advice would be to, you've got to live your life as well. You can't just live in films. You've got to go out, you've got to travel, you've got to get your heart broken. You've got to fall in love. You've got to be, be betrayed by friends if you want to work on big Hollywood dramas and there's a scene where a character gets their heart shattered in half, if you've never had your heart shattered, how could you possibly give that character justice? Yeah. You know, you've got to live your life because you've got to know what those things feel like because then you can put it on the screen and you can bring that to your audience. So that's our episode. What'd you think? Um, I hope you guys found it informative. I hope we went a little bit deeper into the world of editing and post-production and professional editing. Um, I, You know, editing has done me well this year. I actually did well doing a lot of work for Gina this year. It uh, was a great source of income for me, random source of income for me at different points this year. Um, so keep that in mind. If you're developing those skills, Editing is still a great way to make money. And it is the best way to learn about storytelling. It is the best way to understand what you truly need to shoot on set. It is the best way to understand how your performances are going to convey themselves on set, how people are choosing certain aspects of your performances as an actor. Uh, It's a great way to see how all the theories from any crew position actually fit into the final piece. So if you work in any other position, whether you're in art, whether you're writing, whether you're, uh, even if you're a gaffer, if you ever have the opportunity to sit in the edit room on a project that you worked on, I would take it. You will learn so much. I'm telling you, it's eye-opening. You sit in that space and you go, wow, you guys didn't even use that thing that I spent fucking 45 minutes doing, huh? And you didn't use that because this and this and this, right? So I highly suggest it. Um, and thanks for guys. Thank you guys. Wow, man. Thank you guys for listening. 
I hope you guys have been enjoying this season. Uh, we tried to mix it up a bit. Uh, did you guys check out the B. Miller episode? What did you think of that? Send me some messages on Instagram at Mike Petchy. Say, hey, this is what I liked about it. Also, tell me what episodes you do like. Tell me the content that you want more of on the show. Like, I want to know what you guys want to listen to. So definitely, I'm telling you, go to the Instagram account right now because you're on your phone right the fuck now and write me a message. All right. So that's it. I'm not going to I'm not going to draw this out any further. Thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next Tuesday. <laughs>